Let's try this again. Good afternoon, Mosaic. Cool. How's everybody doing? Good. I pray that you all had a had a wonderful week. Um, I pray that last week's sermon uh, was able to at least help you think through um, those categories that we talked about. Um, and I pray that you um, that you lived out those truths that was preached um, last week. Me personally, I wanted to pray this for you. I wanted to pray this for myself, that the Lord will strengthen me, the Lord will strengthen you with great power so that you can understand, so that I can understand the love of Jesus Christ for me. Today we are going to continue our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 all the way to verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Ephesians 4. If you do not, you can follow along in the sermon slide. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the, ministry, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I pray that your word will speak to our hearts I pray, God, that as I, um, as I preach, 
you will help me, you will equip me, you will strengthen me, you will give me unction to say that which your word is saying. I pray that people's hearts will be open to hear your word and that they would receive it. And that we will all together apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we studied together the difference between the indicative and the imperative. We studied the difference between an indicative sentence and an imperative sentence. If you remember, an indicative is a truth statement. You are a man. You are tall. You are this nationality or this ethnicity. But an imperative is a command. An imperative tells you what to do. Go to the mall, clean your room, etc., etc. So we understood the difference, and the reason why I highlighted the difference is because when we read the Bible, when we read the New Testament, especially the letters, you would see that the Apostle Paul will begin with indicatives. And especially so in the book of Ephesians. He begins with indicatives after indicatives after indicatives. Who Jesus Christ is. What Jesus Christ has done for you. Who we are in Christ. And I highlighted the, the importance. I, I, made, I, 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 um, I highlighted the importance of reminding ourselves of the indicatives. Reminding ourselves of the truths of scripture that point out who you are in Jesus Christ. Because many times as Christians, we always want to run to the imperatives. What must I do? How can I live this Christian life? And we skip over the indicatives to our peril. We skip over what Jesus Christ has done for us, who we are in Christ. We skip over Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3, and we want to run to, to the other passages that speak of the imperatives. But my dear friends, as I mentioned to you last time, if you do not have the indicatives in your life, you are not going to have strength to live out the imperatives. And so, my friends, it is very, very, very crucial for all of us, each and every one of us, to study the indicatives. It's very important for you to understand who you are in Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because the more that you understand the indicatives is the more that you will be able to understand how to live out the imperatives, what you must do. I believe that some Christians fall into one of two camps. Some stay in the imperatives. What must I do? I need to become a better Christian. I want, I want, I want to live, out, live a life pleasing to God. And they're always trying to do, trying to do, trying to do. And when they skip over the indicatives, you know what they do? It's almost as if they're saying, God, I'm going to live a life in such a way that's going to be pleasing to you so you can accept me. But, the, but, when you, but, but understanding the indicatives and the imperatives, you realize that you are living in response to God's grace to you. 
You realize that you're living in response to the love of God for you. Not to earn God's favor. And then there are others that simply say, you know what, I'm going to live a good Christian life. I'm just going to preach the gospel to myself. I'm just going to preach the indicatives to myself, which is good, which is good. But as we're going to see in this passage, we don't stay in the indicatives. The indicatives help us live out the imperatives. Again, as we had mentioned earlier, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3, all indicatives. Except perhaps chapter 2 that calls you to remember. But it's telling you to remember an indicative. Remember what, what remember, and it's an indicative. But after chapter 3, Paul begins with imperatives. Okay? Now, we're up to Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul begins his imperatives. So Paul begins, if you could read verse 1 with me, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul begins by saying, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says, therefore, therefore, basically, we all know what the word therefore means, right? Paul has been saying something before, where in this passage it has application for us today, right? So, therefore, in light of what I've been saying before, in light of the previous sentence or the previous passage or the previous passages, in light of that, this is true. So he says, in light of what I just told you about what Christ has done for you, in light of Jesus Christ dying for you, in light of Jesus Christ paying the price for you, in light of you being dead in your trespasses and in your sins, and Jesus Christ rescuing you, in light of that, in light of you becoming adopted as children, in light of all these great truths, I therefore urge you, I exhort you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If somebody rescued me, if I was drowning somewhere in the ocean and someone rescued me, I would live in such a way that showed gratitude that I was rescued. You see, Jesus Christ, as we mentioned last week, Jesus Christ did not just merely say, you're forgiven of your sins. That could have been one thing. He could have done that to us, right? Jesus Christ says, not only am I forgiving you, I'm going to trade my life for your life so that God will bless you in the same way that he would bless me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You see, now... We have become adopted as children. 
And now Paul takes all of these truths and all of these things that he's been saying, and now he says, in light of all of these things, in light of God's mercies, now live in light of the calling to which you have been called. What greater motivation should we, do we need? Jesus Christ has paid it all for you. It's almost as if Jesus Christ says, your heaven is already secured. Your salvation is already secured. Everything has been done for you. But you can still live out a life worthy of the calling. See, Christianity doesn't say, Jesus Christ did it all, therefore you can rest. Christianity says, Yes, Jesus Christ paid it all. Now follow him. Live a life worthy of the calling. So in many ways, chapter 4, chapters 4 to 6, is an exhortation to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. But it's interesting. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul says, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for you, live in light. Live in such a way that is worthy of your calling, right? Now, in my mind, this is just the way I'm particularly wired. You're probably not wired like this. But when I'm reading that, I'm like, yes, I want to live a life worthy of the calling. Mission field. Let me go to the, to the most remotest, the, the, the most remote part of the world. Let me go and suffer somewhere where Jesus Christ, his name is not known somewhere in Africa. It's just, I want to go somewhere crazy. To live in light of the calling means to do something crazy radical. Yes, Lord, I want to become a prisoner too. Paul says, in light of, 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 of the calling, in light of this great salvation, live in light of your calling. And I'm like, yes, Lord, where? That's just the way I'm wired. Where do you want me to go? I want to suffer for you. I want to do the craziest thing for you, oh Lord. You know, Paul could have, did, done, could have said that. Paul could have said, okay, in light of God's mercies, I want you to do the craziest thing for God. But you know what? Paul says, in light of the calling to which you have been called. What does he call us to, to do? He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You see, Paul says, in light of God's great mercies, you guys come together in the bond of peace. Love one another with all humility and gentleness and patience, bear with one another in love. You see, 
Many of us have heard of the horizontal and the vertical relationship, right? We need to get our vertical relationship right, and we need to get our horizontal relationship right. Vertical, us and God. We need to make sure we have a good devotional life. We need to make sure that we have a good prayerful life. And then the horizontal is our relationship with others. We need to um, uh, make sure that we love each other. We've all heard of that, right? And that's helpful. That's a helpful category to think. But I think sometimes we forget that our love for one another, our devotion to one another, is a response to God's love for us. It's a way of worshiping God when I'm patient with you. When you're patient with me, actually. That's probably more realistic. So it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. I think the main passage, I think the main point is found in verse 3, where he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But verse 2 tells us that it needs to be done with all humility, gentleness, and patience. We all know what humility is. Humility is the opposite of pride. Humility is not looking to your own self and your own will and your own um, and your own agenda. Humility is to count another person more, more important than yourself. Humility is not merely saying, oh, I'm thinking of myself less. No, it's, think, it's not thinking of yourself in, a, in a such a, in, in a, in a, in a lowly way, but it's to think of yourself less, right? That's humility. He says, with gentleness, we all know what gentleness is. Gentleness is, 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 is not weakness, but it is a careful way of speaking to others. It's not being careless with your mouth. You know how to restrain your tongue from speaking in such a way that offends people. You are gentle in the way that you speak. And then patience is bearing with one another, bearing with another person's weakness and their failures and not treating them as they deserve. And again, remember... All of this is done in response to God's love for you. We're doing all of this. We're, we're growing in humility with one another. We're growing in patience with one another. We're doing all of these things because we are responding to God's gracious love for us. That's the way that you show thankfulness to God. Could you believe that? You want to know how to thank God. You want to know how to live in light of God's mercy. Look to your left and look to your right. Thank you for actually doing that. You actually did it. (laughs) But you want to know. (laughs) You want to know how to love the Lord your God. How to respond to his grace, look at one another. 
You see, many people have a wrong view of Christianity where they believe that Christianity is me reading my Bible, me praying, me having a good devotional life from 6 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm just going to spend my time with God. That's Christianity. But the Bible recognizes Christianity. Yes, it, 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 yes, we should have a good devotional life. But the Bible recognizes that Christians are to live in community with one another. And Christians are called to love one another. And for us to grow with one another. That's Christianity, friends. So you cannot live the Christian life in isolation. So what is, what is the basis of our unity? We're going to talk a little bit about that. What's the basis? Number one, what is the basis of our unity? And then we're going to talk about how to strengthen and maintain this unity. Okay? First, we're going to talk about the basis of our unity. What is the basis of our unity? Verse 4. The basis. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all, who is over all and through all in all. But the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Look, what's the basis for our unity? The fact is, is that we are one. We share one body together. It says you, we have one body. Together we collectively make one body. That is true of this local church. But that's true um, of the universal church as well, which means that we are one body with the people, with, with Christians in China as well. You and I, we all share one body. We make up one body. Body And it says we have one body, one spirit. There is one Holy Spirit that dwells with his people. He's the one that grants us access to God. Your Holy Spirit is no different from mine. We have the same Holy Spirit. If this is true, then it follows that we should not be divided, my friends. There's not one God for the Jews. See, he was speaking to the Ephesian church. There was not one God for the Jews and then another God for the Gentiles. No, they shared one God. And they shared one body. There's not one God for black people and another God for Asians. No, we all share the same God. We all have, we're all in the same body and we all have the same spirit. And then he goes on. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What is he saying here? In the same way that a body cannot be divided, 
In the same way that my foot can't say, okay, I have, I have a goal to go this way one day, and then my other, other leg say, I have another goal to go another way. It's going to be weird. In that same way, the whole body has the same hope. In the same way, we as Christians, the fact that we share one body, we all share a common hope. We all have the common eternal destiny. We all will be with Christ in his glory forever. That is a wonderful, that's a wonderful truth for us to meditate on. We all, one day, we all will see Christ if we are Christians. And he goes, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only, there's there's one Lord that we share. There's one Lord that we have in common, Jesus Christ. We all have that same faith, the same way to get to Jesus Christ. You don't get to Jesus Christ in a way that I don't get to. We, we all get to Christ through trusting in him, through faith. And he goes on, one baptism. All of us here have been, if you are a Christian, you have been baptized into Jesus Christ. You've been baptized with Jesus Christ. So, all of us need to understand that we all are together. So unity can be strengthened with us understanding our basis for our unity. If we understand the fact that we all have the same goal, if you understand that we all have the same Lord, if you all understand that we are part of one body, I think our unity could be maintained and strengthened. But I don't believe that unity can be maintained and strengthened only with us recognizing our commonalities. I don't believe that unity can be strengthened only if we realize the similar goals that we have, the similar hope that we have. I believe that unity can also be strengthened through diversity. Unity could be strengthened through us recognizing that we are different from one another. Let me give you an example. I think the best example that I can think of is a husband and a wife. There are many things that a husband and a wife have that that, that both of them have that they are like, yes, we both have this. Praise God. You both are human beings, right? You both, um, if you're a Christian, you both share the same faith, right? And you might both have the same goals or the same hobbies. And you, you, you rejoice in that. You glory in that. You say, yes, I love the fact that you like, like to play basketball too. And maybe those are the things that, that help you help strengthen the relationship. But also, you, wanna, you might recognize that the differences matter as well, right? The differences also strengthen the unity, right? For instance, 
Pastor Stephen preached on sex in the gospel, sex in the city. He preached one time um, on the differences between a man and a woman and how when a man and a woman, the differences that each person have, it actually is designed to strengthen the unity, right? And we know even from emotionally, right, men and women sometimes could be different. Sometimes men have certain strengths that women don't have, and sometimes women have certain strengths that men don't have. But when those differences are combined, when those differences are put together, it strengthens the unity. It doesn't discourage it. And that is true with us Christians. Our differences, the strengths that I have, the strength that you have, it's designed to strengthen the unity of the church. Let's read. See, after he goes, by, goes on and says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called, um, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Um, verse 7, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended to the, uh, on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all in all. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. What we see here is verse 13 is the goal. Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Our goal, my job, your job, is for us to grow into, in, the, in the unity of the faith. That is our goal. That's what we're here for. We're all here for us to attain to the unity of the faith and of, and, and of the knowledge of the Son of God into mature manhood. Now, how do we get there? How does Paul say we get there? If we go back to verse 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he's going to describe the kinds of gifts that each person has. What he's saying essentially is this. That God has given you a unique gift in the local church so that you can help strengthen the unity and help strengthen the love in the church. He starts off by saying, he starts off by saying, Verse 11, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, those leaders. He gave he gave those he gave those leaders as a gift to the church in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that you and I can be equipped for the work of of the ministry and as we're working and as we're plowing and as we're plowing and we're working and we're working our goal is so that we can all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood there's so much to look forward to here in Mosaic there's so 
much maturity that we look forward to. I'm not saying that we're mature, but I'm saying there's so much more for us to long for. There's so much more for us to be able to attain. Verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, he makes a difference. He, he makes a comparison. Verse, the end of verse 13, he says, so that you can grow into mature manhood so that you will not be like little children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're going to find here we're going to find here that to be a Christian verse 14 all the way to verse 16 to be a Christian Christians are marked by knowing who to not listen to and who to listen to Amen as we grow into mature manhood, we understand and we have more discernment of who should we listen to and who should we not listen to. He begins with the negative. Verse, verse 14. You know how you're growing in maturity? Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning. You see, the goal here is that, that the Christians are trying to, um, to grow with one another. The Christians are, are speaking to one another. The Christians are using each other's gifts to bless each other so that we all can grow into maturity. And as we grow into maturity, verse 14 says, we will not be, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So it means to say that the weakest link in mosaic is a problem. We need to, we need to lift up the weakest link in mosaic because, because the, chain, all, the whole chain breaks apart with the weakest link, right? We need, friends, to look for one another so that we can grow into maturity so that we will not be deceived by human cunning and craftiness. That's the negative that's what Christians are going to be able to reject. But the positive is found in verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You see that? So negatively, you will not be tossed to and fro by every wind, every doctrine, Someone tells you, yeah, you know, Jesus Christ, he was, he was a human being, but he wasn't God. You wouldn't be tossed by that, right? You wouldn't believe that, right? You'll say, that's false. So you know and you recognize what not to listen to, and then you recognize who to listen to. See, instead of the false doctrine, we are called to speak truth to one another. We are called to speak truth to one another. 
But he says something that is very interesting. He says, speaking truth to one another in love. It's easy to find people who say, oh, I'm loving that. I love that person, you know. You know, I don't need to tell them the truth, you know, because I love them. I love, love, love. And they're all grace, but they don't speak truth into your life. But then there are other people who love, love to tell the truth. Your hairline is receding, man. Why are you telling me that for, man? I, I know that my hairline is receding. Why do you, you have to tell me that? There are some people who are really, really good at speaking truth. That goes back, by the way, to the gentleness. Paul, calls, Paul says, um, um, in humility and in gentleness and in patience, we are, we are to, to, to walk with one another. So there are people who, 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 who like to say, I just want to speak love, and there are other people who speak truth. The Bible says that we are to speak the truth to one another in love. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I've noticed this. Is this true? You know, I've noticed that for the past couple of days, it just seemed, um, you just seemed to be discouraged. Can I, can I talk to you for a minute? We're not called to be fake Christians. We're called to speak truth to one another, but in love. We're called to speak truth to one another in love. So, Unity is found by us recognizing that we have the same goals, we have the same Lord, we have the same Jesus Christ, we have the same faith, we have the same spirit, same body, but unity is also maintained and strengthened when we recognize that we are different and each person contributes to the, to the unity of the church in a unique way. You see, friends, if you do not recognize your uniqueness in this church, if you do not recognize the unique benefit that you bring to this church, you will not be able to strengthen the unity in the faith. Now, I just wanted to, I, just, I skipped the verse if you recognize this, uh, verses 9 and 10 just to talk about it just for a little bit. Let's begin from verse 8. He says, when he's talking about the gift, he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he, then, then you see a parenthesis and it says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. That seems to me, it seems to be a, almost a random passage just stuck right in the middle of our sermon. Um, But what he's saying is this. He's saying, essentially, God has given each one of you gifts. But the way that he has given the, the gifts to men is through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ ascended back up to heaven, he distributed gifts to each man. And he cuts himself off. He says, oh, by the way, by saying that he ascended, it, I mean, it means that necessarily that he had to descend, right? So he descended in order to ascend. And some people take that to be, oh, 
Jesus Christ, he went to, um, to Hades for a couple of days after he died, and then he rose back up to life again. Um, that is not an interpretation that I'm going to subscribe to, um, namely because um, several reasons, but one of the reasons you can see in the cross, Jesus Christ, he talks to the thief and he says, look, today you will be with me in paradise, right? When he says descended, it's talking about Jesus Christ descending unto the earth. And then ascended when he ascended back up to heaven. And then he gave gifts to men, each and every one of us. Friends, if there's anything that you should remember, is that we are called as Christians to strengthen our unity. Christianity is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's as if you're saying, I want to strengthen my marriage by being alone by myself. No. Your marriage is strengthened by being with one another. And my friends, Christianity, your Christian walk, is strengthened in you being with one another. And as you are with one another, you will find that there will be a lot of differences. And that's why the Apostle Paul calls us that as we see those differences, that we should walk in humility with one another. We should walk in patience with one another. We should walk being gentle with one another. It's going to happen. As we get closer to one another, we are going to find differences, some differences that's going to annoy us even. But we as Christians, we are called to love one another. Why? Why are we called to love one another? Everything, 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 everything flows out of what Jesus Christ has done for you. What Jesus Christ has done for me. Because of the great love in which he has had for us. Because Jesus Christ died for us. Because of all of these truths, now look to one another in love. That's it. But Lord, you want me to go, maybe? maybe yeah, maybe you can go to the mission field. But Lord, do you want me to suffer in a very unique way in, 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 in the most remote country, in the most remote place in the world? Yeah, you could probably, maybe that will glorify me. But, you know what? Look to one another right now. Love one another right now. And in that way, you will live out the calling to which you have been called. For those of you who are here today and you do not understand nor do you know about the call, then I want to remind you, I want to bring your attention to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That says this, that you were therefore dead in your trespasses, which means this, that in your sins you are dead. You cannot even wake yourself up. You see nothing else but sin, and you submit to no one else but sin. Sin is your master, as the Bible says. And therefore, the Bible says that you are also a child of wrath. 
Because you are a sinner, because you have sinned against God, it means this, that God's anger and his wrath is upon you. This is no small thing, my friend. Some people take comfort in saying, oh yes, but uh, everybody else sins. Everybody else sins, so what? Imagine in Noah's days, someone says, oh, everybody else does it, so I'm good. But everyone was flooded, right? So it will be true in the judgment day. When you stand before God, you will stand before him by yourself. Everyone else wouldn't be with you. Your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your father, everyone will be away from you. You will have to stand and give an account to God for your life. And the only way for you to experience the love of God, the only way for you to know the love of God, is by you turning away from your sins and recognizing the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all for you. You see, salvation is not from your own self. Salvation cannot be found from your own self. You cannot look to yourself and say, I need to be saved. Because any, try, any, any time you try to do good, evil lies with you. Any time you can say, okay, I can go three days without sinning. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, some miraculous way, you're going to fall right back again and over and again and over again. You see, you are addicted to sin and sin is your nature. The only way out is not by looking to yourself, but by looking to Jesus Christ and understanding and accepting the fact and the reality that Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. He has died for your sins. He has taken your sins upon him on the cross. And then he said, Father, Father, why have you abandoned me on the cross? The reason why is because you deserve to be abandoned. He died. So that you can live. He died so that you can have eternal life. And Jesus Christ rolls back up to life again. He says, it is finished. When Jesus Christ rolls back up again, he essentially said this. That death is no longer an issue for you. You no longer need to be afraid of death. You no longer need to be afraid of eternal punishment. You no longer need to be afraid of God's anger. I have given you that relationship with the Father. And so I would ask that you would come to Jesus Christ and trust that he has done it, he has paid it completely for you. And then you will understand this oneness, this unity, this union that we all experience with God. And for those of you who are Christians, I urge you, I exhort you, in light of what God has done for you, love one another. In light of what God has done for you, live in such a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let people come from the outside and say, you guys are living differently with one another. I don't understand. And so that is our call as Christians. Amen.